0: that are joining us online, thank you so much for the privilege to serve you today. Today I want to jump right into it. We're going to be starting a new series today. How many of you believe that it's worth listening to the truth that God has to speak to you? You believe that if you're open, if you're willing to receive, if you're willing to lean into the truth that God's word has to say, then I want you to join me in declaring this with us. Say, "I I have ears to hear. I have eyes to perceive. And I have a heart that's ready ready. to understand and receive receive. the living word of God. God. Now, I pray that you mean that today. Let's give it up for the Lord. All right. All right. Remember, you said that you are ready. Today, I want to start off a little bit different. I want to read to you something that is not in our notes, but I want to read this to you from Revelation chapter three. I'm sorry. Revelation chapter two. And it's the words of Jesus himself. Spoken through the Apostle John to the church. And in Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this. And here's what he's writing. He's writing to, here's who he's writing to. He's writing to the most, quote unquote, successful church in the day. He's writing to the largest church in the known world in that day. He's writing to a church that thrives in excellence in every area. Listen closely to what he says. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. In other words, these people knew what the word of God declared. They knew how to rightly discern it. And he goes on to say, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And listen closely, because this is is something that I want to point out to you. He says, remember therefore, from where you have fallen, not that part, but this part. He says, repent and do the first works, the first works. And the first works that Jesus was alluding to, he's writing to a church that excelled in every regard, in ministry, in the outward appearance of what they were supposed to be doing, but they had forgotten something. He's specifically speaking to the pastor, a guy named Timothy, and he's saying, I am calling you back to the very first thing above everything you do, above everything you feel called to, above everything that you endeavor to do for the kingdom of God. He says, I'm calling you back to this first work. That first work is a love for Jesus, a personal and intimate relationship with God. And this morning, as we start this series, we're starting a new series entitled, I'm in. I'm in and we're going to be exploring what it means to be a part of the body of Christ as, as specifically what it means to be in Christ as well. And so today I want to talk to you on the topic I'm invited. I'm invited. I want you to know that God is always has always and will always be speaking directly to your heart extending an invitation. A daily invitation to something deeper, to something more than church attendance, to something more than just the checklist where I read my Bible or I did what I was told or I'm being a good little person. It's something deeper. It's something more. And there's an invitation. but How many of you know that an invitation has to be accepted? How many of you know that? Yeah. Listen to what the scriptures say about you and I. In relation to being in Christ and in the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7 says this, But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, listen closely, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, I'll tell you why I want to start there. Because what we see is that the emphasis on everything that relates to a relationship with God is based upon being in Christ. So I'll put it to you this way. What's true of, I don't know, this page right here, this piece of paper right here in this Bible? What's true of this piece of paper is true relative to what happens to this book, this Bible. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. If I take this book, this Bible, and I put it there, where did that page go? It's over there. If I take this book, this Bible, and I raise it up here, where is that page? It's up here. If I take this Bible and throw it in a bucket of water, will the outside only get wet or the inside as well? Everything, the inside as well, including that page. And what I want you to see is that what's true about Jesus, it's true about you. And thus, it is absolutely essential. It is critical. It is important that we understand who we are in the body of Christ and what that means for our personal relationship with God. Amen? And so, listen closely. The Bible says that you have been made alive. But why? Because he was made alive. Because he rose. The Bible says that you were raised up together with Christ. Why? Because he was raised up. The scriptures say that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. That's power. That's that's something that's available to you and I. It goes on to say that not only did he raise us up, But it says we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. See, you and I are the recipient, according to these verses, of God's exceeding riches in his kindness towards us in Christ. And so it's important for us to begin to wrap our hearts around this because while our present circumstances occur in this world, our location is in Christ. I'm going to say that again. While our circumstances occur in this world, our location is in Christ. And that's important because it will change the way we deal with circumstances in life if we understand what it means to be in Christ and a part of His body. Amen? Amen. And so, today I'd like to talk to you, as I said, on the topic, I'm Invited. You know, there's nothing worse than having everything provided and having the invitation and not knowing what's there or not accepting it. I grew up with a misunderstanding of God. I remember my mother, you know, she tried her best. I mean, God bless her. She was a uh, home attendant. So what that basically means is she didn't make a lot of money, but she raised six of us by herself. She worked over 100 hours a week. Um, We barely saw her. But she did her best to provide for us. And one of the things that was very important to my mother was for us to have a relationship with God. And she tried her best, but she didn't quite know how to do that in those early years. And so we started by going to a place where we heard about Jesus. We even saw pictures of him everywhere. But we were also told that we had to depend and trust upon other saints, other people that had experiences with God. We were even encouraged to pray to them. And when we would sit to listen to a message about God, uh, it was all in a different language. So it was very confusing growing up. And then my mother said, you know, we're going to try something different. And we started having people come over to the house. And these people would talk to us about God, but we never looked at the Bible. They told us what the Bible said, but we primarily depended on magazines and books. And that was very confusing, and that lasted for a while, and then for a very brief, uh, stint, a very brief period of time, we ended up going to a place in Midtown Manhattan, some sort of temple, and, and basically what they would encourage us to do there was to just sit and in, in utter silence and attempt to empty ourselves of anything and everything that was in your mind and, and to get to this specific place, which we never figured out. So that didn't work out for us either, and that was very confusing. And then finally, we were enlisted in the military. Now, I know for some of you you're thinking what are you talking about? How did you go from going to these places to going to the military? Well, we went to a very strict legalistic experience of relationship with God. And when we when this particular place that we went to, the emphasis was on hey, Jesus loves you and that was great. That was enticing. But then once we started going, once we started learning, we were told week in week out how bad we were. How wrong we were, how broken we were. And so, continually, week after week, we found ourselves going to a quote unquote altar and repenting and telling God to forgive us and asking Him to cleanse us once again and to do what He had already done for all humanity. And so, it, it was never good enough and it was equally confusing. But what we did not realize was this that according to the scriptures, the door has already been opened. And the invitation is there for each and every one of us to know Christ personally. I pray that you can say in your heart of hearts, I'm invited and understand that that means that you have full access in the kingdom of God. And so in the scriptures in Luke chapter 14, Jesus has an encounter with a group of men known as Pharisees. And these men had a seat at the table that he was at. These people uh, were people that were looked to uh, as prominent in their day. They were depended upon as it pertained to pointing you correctly to God. And so let's read in the Bible what happens, and then I'll give you some backdrop uh, to lead into this conversation we're having today. Starting at Luke 14, verse 15, it says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God and Jesus replied a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests and at the time of the banquet he said to his servant he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited come for everything is now ready now if you've had any experience with Hispanics, here's probably what that means for you. You get invited, and you show up with a pot. You show up with a tray. You show up with something, because somehow you feel obligated. At least that's how we grew up in my household. My mother told us, you never show up to someone's home when they invite you empty-handed. But I want you to hear what the king of kings is saying here. What he's displaying about God and himself through this parable. He says, come, everything is now ready. So verse 18 says, but they all began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on the way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants and said this. He said, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, bring in the crippled, the blind and the lame. Mm -hmm. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. There's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So what's going on here? What's what's with the invitation here? What's Jesus getting at? And to to grasp that, we have to understand that this parable was distinctly directed by Jesus to a group of people who had a place in God's kingdom, but didn't understand it. They were Pharisees. They were Jews. These were Hebrews that by nature and by divine appointment had a right to the promises and, and all that entailed a relationship with God. To them it belonged first and foremost. But these people while sitting at the table, so here's what happens. This uh, Jewish leader, a religious leader, calls a gathering. And all these men of in the religious elite, show up, and Jesus is invited. And they sit at the table, and while they're there, right, and it happens to be the Sabbath, so it is a most holy day. So to them, it means something really, really big. It's a big deal. So Jesus is sitting with them, and while he's there, he notices that there's a man whose hand is shriveled. And Jesus asks a question. He says, is it right to heal someone on the Sabbath? They didn't respond to him. And so Jesus heals this man. So this miraculous thing happens, but the scriptures reveal that these men were offended. And what they did not realize was that Jesus was displaying to them a greater principle, a greater truth. They did not realize that Jesus was exemplifying to them, and even to us today, what happens at God's table. What happens when we accept this invitation? And so the scriptures also reveal that Jesus takes note of uh, that these men who are sitting among him, that many of them uh, made it a priority to sit in a place of recognition. So in those days, there was an order and a certain seating chart, so to speak. If you sat in this seat, You held more prominence. You were of greater uh, respect. You demanded greater respect. And so these men are kind of all trying to shove their way into this particular area. And Jesus notices this. And what we realize, what he realizes is that these men were were seeking uh, the esteem associated with being invited to this gathering to hear Jesus. But what we really see is that none of them were interested in the invitation that was being made to them. And we know that because when Jesus gives them a tangible example of the invitation to a personal relationship with him and what can happen through it, they got offended. They got offended. And so the thing about it is that Jesus loved these people. Listen to Jesus' heart in Matthew 23, another portion of Scripture in verses 37 through 39. And this doesn't just apply to them. This applies to us. It starts off by saying this, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I'll translate that for you. Oh, my people, my people. In other words, there's an emphasis. Hear what I'm saying. Heed to my call. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Watch this. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now I want you to consider the imagery that Jesus is portraying to us in these, in these words, in these verses. He's depicting a hen who cares for her, cheap, for, for her chicks, and she cares for them to such an extent that she's unwilling for them to be left helpless. She understands that they're young. She understands that they have need. She understands that they have nurture. And so the hen calls to her chicks. She clucks to her chicks. She gathers them with her wings. She compels them within, under her wings. But Jesus likens these men. And hey, if the shoe fits, please don't wear it, but change it. He likens us if it applies. He says, I've been trying to gather you as a hen does her chick to herself. But you were unwilling. You know, there's a question that we all have to face when it comes to relationship with God. Are we truly willing to accept his invitation? Now, the thing is, what does that invitation entail? You know, in our day, hens... we've reduced them to egg machines. We look at them for eggs. And maybe if you're really hungry to eat, right? A chicken itself or a hen itself. But in previous eras, in previous times, the hen embodied the essence of motherhood and strength. She was a symbol. In first century AD, Roman historian Plutarch praised the many ways the mother hen cherished and protected her chicks. In his writings, he noted how she went about dropping her wings to cover her chicks as they crept under and receiving with joyous and affectionate clucks the others as they mounted upon her back. Renaissance writer Ulyssia Aldrovandi described how at the first sign of a predator, a mother hen would immediately gather her chicks. He marveled how she brought them, these are his words, under the shadow of her wings. And with this covering, she put up a fierce defense, striking fear into her opponent in the midst of a frightful clamor as she used both her wings and her beak. She would rather die for her chicks than seek safety in retreat. He further goes on to say that in collecting food, the mother hen allows her chicks to eat their filth before satisfying her own hunger. Thus... He said, the mother hen is, in pre- is present in every way, a noble example of a mother's love for her offspring. And what I want you to do is, what I want us to do is to consider the words of Jesus, not just to these men, but to us to consider this parable, which is a story, a fictitious, a fictitious story used to reveal a great truth about God and about life and relationship with God to us. I want you to consider this, that there's an invitation to come to the table, to come under the shadow of his wings, and the intent that God has is to protect, it's to nurture, it's to provide, it's to raise, it's to keep, it's to rejoice over you and I. There's an invitation Question, what's your response to that invitation? See, like this, men, like these men, we too have a personal invitation. But this invitation entails so much more than just knowing about God. This invitation opens the door. It uncovers mysteries that have been laid up for you and I, that God wants us to know. You know, this past week, we sent out a text message to the, the entire congregation, um, And many, many people responded back, way more than I thought. And what we asked in this text was, hey, we, you know, Pastor wants to use just some of your stories, what what Jesus has done in your life, what Jesus has brought you from, where he's brought you, what he's brought you through. And we asked people to respond via text, and we got a bunch of responses. And what I wanted you to consider is this, that these are people like you and I that have opened the door of our heart and have said, I'm getting back to the first works, to what's most important. God, I love you above all. I pray that's where you are. But it opened the door. It opens the door for you like it did for these people. These are some of the responses that we got. I'm not going to read them verbatim, but what I'm going to do is just give you the, the essence of what happened. One person shared how their life went from a life marked by several attempts of suicide and depression to a renewed love for life and a place of true joy. The thought does not even enter into their heart and mind to harm themselves any longer. Another person, this is the type of invitation that takes up someone from homelessness and addiction to having a home and, and, and enjoying sobriety, actually enjoying life soberly. This is the type of invitation that takes someone from the weight of a strict uh, experience with religion and having a terror, a true and genuine fear of God, not in reverence, but afraid of God, to living free from the weight imposed by rules and religion and having confidence in God. This is the type of invitation that takes us, that took this person from bondage of fear that kept this woman in domestic abuse to a marriage that is now fully healed and restored, where love is the language and and the the means by which they now relate to one another. This is the kind of invitation that takes a person from the heart-wrenching experience of abandonment of their parents at a very young age and the internal scars that led to a desire to die and no self and no love for self to now living with real happiness and a love for self, a love for people, and a love for God. A person who now looks outward as opposed to living inward with their hurt This is an invitation that you and I Have daily yeah. You know in Revelations chapter 3 Jesus speaking to another one of the churches Says this Here I stand at the door And I knock And that door is our heart And it's not our physical heart It's the place of belief yeah. And Jesus says Here I stand at the door and I knock And watch what he says, and he who opens the door to me, he says, I will come in and dine with them and they with me. Notice what he doesn't say. I will come in and demand from you that you do something for me before I do something for you. See, God's more interested in you understanding what he has already provided than us placing the emphasis on how much we think we know God. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to just give you just three simple things. Things that we need to know about our invitation, about your invitation. And the first one is obvious. The first one is this, is that you and I have a seat at God's table. Now, you got to understand what that means. Mind you, these people are sitting with Jesus, but they don't recognize him as the promised Christ. They don't understand that he is the king of kings. And so this is God himself in the form of a man sitting among them. The king of kings, the preeminent body of power and authority, God himself among them. And he gives them a parable to illustrate to them the invitation that is before them right then and there. Not just the healing that happened, but everything else that comes with an intimate relationship with God. And this king of kings, our king of kings... Sits at this table. You know, in kingdom, in the the context of kingdoms, it's true that to have a seat at the table of the king meant more than being a guest. If the king said to you, you have the right to sit at my table, here's what it meant. It meant that he accepted you as a son and daughter. A son and daughter. It brings us into that level of relationship. To have a seat at the table of the king in these days meant more than having food. It meant that you ate as the king eats. Listen closely. To have a seat at the, tab- at the table of the king meant more than time spent having your fill. It meant that you had the time, attention, and affection of the king and that you had access to his provision without limits. You ever do one of these? You get invited to eat. Somebody invites you to go out. And you go, I'll just have a salad. And you know you want more. You know you'd like to have a little more. Listen to how it works in the kingdom of God. He, has, he says, the table's already set. Everything has been made ready. Come. 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 I want you to see a couple of things from the scriptures about this point of having a seat at God's table, which is really having an open door and access to God. Psalm 16, 11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. Watch this. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm going to tell you why that's so important. Because even in Christian circles today, in the church world today, It's very easy to depend upon what somebody tells me about God as opposed to learning to depend upon God for myself. And God says this, he says, David says this in reflection of who God is in his life and who God is in our life. He says, in your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You know who's at the right hand of a king? His son his daughter. It's a place of authority. And so Psalm 23, verse one, I know many of you can quote it, but he says, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If you study the rest of Psalm 23, you'll see that David rightly uh, describes the relationship between God and men. He says, you're the shepherd because of you. I lack nothing. You lead me in paths of peace. You make me to lie down in still waters. You restore my soul. But the reason why David could confidently say this is because of Psalm 23, verse 5. And listen to what he says there. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Look at what happens in the presence of God. Despite your circumstances, despite what you see around you, your cup, your life overflows. Man, in Matthew 25, verse 34, the second half of verse 34, he says this, come you who are blessed by my father. Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself blessed by God? Do you consider yourself loved by God? Maybe, maybe you don't believe in God, but today you're hearing this message and you're saying, you know, I've never understood how God relates to me that way. And maybe you find yourself believing that God is interested in you, that he's vested in you. Well, I want you to know something, that God says this, come, you who are blessed by my Father. That's the entire world. You know why? Because God so loved the entire world that he gave his son. What he did is not just for you, Christian, What he did is not just for you, churchgoer. What he did is not just for us who seek God. He did it for the entire world. And so watch what he says. Come you who are blessed by my Father. He says inherit. In other words, partake. Take what's yours. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What I want you to see is this, is that you and I have a seat at the table of God. And this table and at this table you have a place of belonging in God's kingdom as sons and daughters. You have the blessing of his faithful presence. We have the means by which we can truly enjoy what joy really is. We have his anointing. We have his abundance that causes us to overflow and measure. You have all that you need. Let me take it back to us Hispanics. You have to come to that table and take your seat. Not trying to add anything to what he's done. Can I tell you the truth? What? Because I've made this mistake too. I spent so many years trying to make myself better for God. You ever tell yourself this? I gotta work on this one. Oh, yes, sir. That's not our place. Our place is to go before the king of kings and partake at his table And learn of his essence. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. If you want a true encounter with love, if you want to really see the power of God's love, the very first thing that we need to do is learn to receive it. To accept it as our own. To partake of it. But here's why this is important. Because no one can take your seat at the table. It's already provided. Unless you give it up. Unless we give it up. See, it's up to you and I to come. It's up to you and I to partake. It's up to you and I to take our rightful place on a daily basis. This is a day-to-day process. This is a moment-by-moment experience. This is something that we sign up for for the rest of our lives. You know, the Bible gives us an example of a few different people who had a place, with God like you and me, but they didn't understand it. Judas was a thief and a betrayer. What's interesting is that if you read John 13, the Bible says that at that very moment, on that night, at that last meal, that Jesus chose to show them the full extent of his love. And you know what he did? He assumed the role of a slave and he washed their feet. Now, here's why that's important. Because before Judas left that meal... Jesus washed his feet too. And Judas left the table. Why? Because he was pursuing 30 pieces of silver. See, it can happen to any one of us. Mephibosheth, this guy was a a, a man who was destined for the seat of the throne. He was the grandson to the king, the first king of Israel. And had not everything gone, hey why, he might have eventually ended up there. This guy was royalty. But when David came in and assumed the kingdom, His caretaker assumed that he would be slaughtered like was the custom of those days when one king overthrew another. And so she leaves and Mephibosheth gets hurt. And for whatever reason, he's lame for the rest of his life. And the Bible says that he goes to a place called Lodabar, a place that was dry when nothing grew. And while he was there, he grew into this mindset, into this belief. I don't belong at the kingdom. I'm not royalty. Let me remind you of something, believer, child of God, that the Bible says that you are a chosen people, his chosen people, that you are a royal priesthood, that you are a holy nation chosen for his good pleasure, for his purposes. That's who you are. So when Mephibosheth finds himself before David and David is restoring him and he's saying, take your place at my table. You will eat what I eat. I'm restoring to you everything that was stripped of you when you left here. I'm restoring you as if you're a king. As if you're my son or daughter, the Bible says that Mephibosheth's response to David was this Who am I but a dead dog before you that you would do this for me? See, we have a place at the table, but we cannot give it up. We cannot give it up. Which leads me to an important point. And it's this don't let your excuses make you the exception in God's kingdom. I'm going to say that again. Yeah. Don't let your excuses make you the exception in God's kingdom. Let me tell you something. While these Pharisees appeared to be godly without on the outside, they were full of emptiness on the inside. There comes a point where Jesus says to them, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look pretty on the outside. But on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And what they were full of was emptiness. Notice that in Matthew uh, 23, we were looking at before, he says, because you were unwilling, he says, your house has been left desolate to you. You know what it's saying there? That word desolate in the Hebrew means empty. It's empty. And it's not because he left. It's because they were unwilling to accept what he was trying to do in their lives, just like he's trying to do in our lives. See, these men were full of empty excuses that excluded them from accepting the invitation that Jesus was laying before them to be his people, to know him as God. And while the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us what were their excuses, you gotta hone in to what Jesus says in this parable because it speaks to the excuses that each and every one of us can make. Notice that in the parable, Jesus says in verse 18 of, of Luke uh, 14, he says, I have that, that this one, the, the first guy says at the invitation, when he gets the invitation to come to the table that was ready, he says, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Now, here's what's interesting. He's talking about something that he has possession of, something that belongs to him. Isn't it true that like this man in this parable, we too can hold to the excuse that what we possess requires our full attention at the expense of where God is trying to lead us and what he's trying to do in our lives, of his call upon our lives. The Bible also says, and here's the thing, the the deception there is that the pursuit in possessions, of possessions, is that you never possess them. I'll prove it to you. I can guarantee it to you. Isn't it true that where you started isn't where you wanted to stay? It can be a career. It can be a relationship. It can be your place in life. We always want more. And the same is true about possessions. If we're not careful, we will become so possessed with the possession that we'll never take a hold of it, but it will grab a hold of us. In verse 19, the, the second person that makes an excuse says, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. You know what oxen were used for in those days? To work. We're talking about an agricultural society, an agricultural environment. This is how everything happened. It was based on animals and what you, what you farmed and what you raised and, and, what, and, and, and what you reaped and what you sowed. And so these oxen were used for the purposes of work, and this, the excuse of this person is, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on the way to try them out. Please excuse me. Isn't it true that like this man in this parable, we too can hold to the excuse that what we have to do trumps the one we need to seek and serve? You have been so caught up in your work and whatever it is, whatever responsibilities, whatever it is that you do, you do, you do, you do, that nothing gets done and you don't feel none the closer to God. In verse 20, the third excuse, he says, it says, still another said, I just got married. Man, that's pretty important. That's an important person. This guy says, I just got married, so I can't come. Isn't it true that like the man in this parable, we too can hold to the excuse that those we hold dear are a greater priority than our commitment to God? I know that this is a tough message because it gets to the heart. It gets to this question that we all must wrestle with and get a truthful answer to if we're ever going to move forward. And it's this, it's do I love Jesus and do I accept the invitation to a relationship with him day by day at this moment more than anything else that pulls at me. Whether it's the oxen we have to work, we have to try out, whether it's the people that we're tied to that we value, whether it's the possessions that we have. Listen, I realize that the call to follow Christ is costly. But the cost isn't in what you give up in your possessions. It isn't in the work that you do that you have to set aside sometimes or the responsibilities that you have to set aside sometimes. It's not even the loved ones, the people that you hold dear. According to the words of Jesus, G- Excuse me, of words of Jesus in Matthew 19. The real cost is putting ourselves in last place so that Jesus can take the only place. First place. Listen, the cost isn't what we have or has us, rightly said. The cost isn't what we do or the people we love. The cost is you and I. I'm going to tell you why I say that. Because isn't it true That the reason why we hold dear to possessions, to people, to the things that we do, isn't because of what we have. It's because of what it does for us. It's what it does for us. It's what I get out of this relationship. It's what I get out of these people that I hold dear. It's what I get out of this thing that I possess. Ah, look at what I have. But Does it trump what's most important? Jesus, God is our priority, the invitation that he extends for us. I love what we see from the words of Jesus in verse 30 of Matthew 19. He says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And he's talking about how we position ourselves in relation to God. And what I want you to see is that the results are worth it. When you put Christ first, you end up in first place. That's not my opinion. That's what Jesus said. That's what he's revealing to us. And so, will we come? The last point that I want to leave you with here is this. It's that your invitation, the invitation that God extends to you and I, your invitation requires your decision. It's interesting, but these Pharisees that sat with Jesus that day had made a decision. They had come to the point of a crossroads where they had heard what Jesus had to say. They had heard what Jesus declared about himself, and they made a decision. They made a decision. And even while they were present with Jesus at that moment, they were still missing the greatest decision that was before them, the invitation at God's table a personal relationship with God. You know, truthfully speaking, we're not unlike these men. I'll tell you why. Because even in their own distorted view, they were seeking to understand the words of Christ. In some way, they were pursuing something But like them, we too have other things going on in life. And in this parable, Jesus reveals something to us about our predicament and theirs. In verse 21 of the parable, the servant comes back and he says, nobody wants to come that you invited. And in verse 21, it says that the master says, go into the streets. Now, that's an important word there in the Greek, because the word streets there speaks of an open square. And in those days, the open square was usually at the city gate. And at the city gate, what happened was this. This was the marketplace. This is where you went to get your goods. This is where you went to buy the animals or the things that you would use for sacrifices. This is where you would run into everyone from, uh, from the town. This is where deals were made and, and decisions were cemented. Uh, and we signed deals and we, we did all those things. In this open square, this is where everybody crossed paths. It was the central location. And the word alleys there proves that because in the Greek it speaks of a trackway surrounded by buildings on every side. So it's a crossroads. It's kind of like when you pull up to a four-way intersection. And what do you do? You stop and you look both ways. It's a place of decision. Now, let me take you to scripture on that. To just exemplify that a little bit more in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 20 through 22 it says wisdom cries aloud in the street in the markets she raises her voice this is the wisdom of God speaking it says at the head of the noisy streets she cries out at the entrance of the city gates she speaks how long oh simple ones will you love being simple here's what he's saying how long will you love and conti- to continue to stay there where you are? Wisdom's crying out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? In other words, wisdom is speaking. It's offering knowledge. It's offering truth. It's offering an invitation. And what wisdom, what God says is this. How long will you stay there and not come to this place of decision as to the wisdom that I'm giving you? In verse 23, it says that the servant comes back and he says, Master, we've done what you said. We've gone and reached out to the the hurting, to the sick, to the blind, to the lame. They're all here. He says, but there's still room. There's still room. Still room for more. The Bible says in verse 23 that the master says, go and compel them. In other words, go and implore them that they would know this. Watch this. He says, go and compel them in the highways. That word there means the way of journey. It's speaking about a manner of life. It's talking about what you and I are doing right now. Life. He says, go into to the highways and the hedges. The hedges there speaks of a fence or a place that prevents people from coming together. So get this picture as we close here and we stand. Jesus says, go wherever they are. Whoever feels like they don't belong, like there's something stopping them from coming. Go to that person, no matter what their manner of life has been, no matter what their journey has looked like and where they are right now on this journey of life. Go there and tell them that they have a place right here at my table because everything is provided. Just come. Let's stand here today. If I could leave you with anything today. If I could leave you with anything of value. It's this. It's the word that God says. Come. Can I borrow you for a second brother? I want to do something. Come. Now watch this. Here's what God says. Come. And maybe, just maybe, and I'm not picking on you. I'm just using it as an example. But I want us to consider something. God says, come. And oftentimes what we do is we probably think, who, me? We probably think, is he really serious, me? Maybe we might even go to this extent, not saying that this is you, but we might even go to this extent where we might go, do I really need to come? in light of everything going on around me. And you know, the word come is an invitation. But it's an invitation to leave where you are and to go where he's calling you. And like the hen who gathers her chicks, God says, come, let me heal you. Come, let me address your doubts. Come, let me show you what true love is, not what you experienced in your home. Come, let me show you what true purpose is for life. Come, come. But in order to come, you have to understand that it's God inviting you. and You have to be willing to leave whatever, wherever there is. So here's the question. Will you daily rise knowing that the door is wide open and accepting the invitation of God to come. I want to encourage you right now as we take these final moments to just take a moment to consider the words of God. To consider what he's trying to accomplish in gathering us. It's not to harm you. It's not to hurt you. It's not even to impose anything on you. It's to help you. It's to heal you. It's to raise you under the shadow of his wings. And in these final moments, will you come? Will you come? Father, at this very moment, we just take this time to To weigh the value of your word and to consider your invitation to come. It's to come to your very best, it's to receive what we need and what you've made ready. And right here, right now, Lord, we hear your voice. Because we've heard your truth. And we yield our lives, we yield our hearts, we yield our excuses. And we say, yes, Lord. We take our seat at your table as your sons and daughters. And we partake of all your goodness. And we thank you, Lord. Because at your table... We have all we need. We sit with you, O great and good shepherd. We thank you for that. Now, it's very possible that there's someone, maybe you're here today, maybe you're joining us online, and you're hearing this message, and and, and what you've never considered is that God is extending an invitation to you, but it's not an invitation for you to do anything to change yourself or make yourself better for him. Your excuses have nothing to do with it. He sees past all your priorities. He says, come. I'm inviting you to the table. I'm inviting you to your healing. I'm inviting you to a new life. I'm inviting you to a purpose-filled life. I'm inviting you to truth. I'm inviting you to something more than the possessions that never fill you. And the people that never add to you. I'm inviting you to know me. If that's you today and you, you hear the call of God upon your heart and you, you sense that, that, that God is speaking to you right now, then I pray that you would pray this with us. That you would believe this. That God so loved you that before you ever accepted an invitation, he extended himself to you. The Bible says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were guilty, and he says, I know they're guilty, and I know that there's a penalty for that sin, but I'll take the penalty. I'll pay the price for them. Why? So that they could live free from that weight and they could have an open door to a relationship with me. If you believe that with us today, then here's what you need to know, that Jesus died to pay the penalty, that Jesus rose to do away with the shame and the guilt and the weight of it. But he also did that to prove that we can rise too. And if you believe that today, I want to encourage you to pray this with us. As we pray this with confidence, with boldness, declare this with the say, Jesus, I believe. You love me. I believe you died for me. To give the best for me. To pay the price for me. To do away with sin. Today I accept you as my Savior. I declare you are my Lord. I call you my God. And from this day forward, I'm taking my place at your table. I'm your son and daughter. And you are my king. And from this day forward, I'm answering the call. I'm coming. Now, if you prayed that for the very first time, we are celebrating the goodness of God at work in your life. We want to encourage you to continue on this journey. Don't leave here without sharing it with someone. If you're online, let us know. Message us. We want to walk alongside you. Now, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus and all that you've provided. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday.